Hi, this is Dan Sullivan. I'd like to welcome you to the Multiplier Mindset Podcast. Hi, it's Dan here, and it's a great treat to introduce an example of one of my favorite subjects, and that is immigrants who come to the United States and they become entrepreneurs. And this is Terry Fahm, and Terry has a fast food business, is in the Dallas area, and he's going to tell a story about his plans for expansion. And he expanded in a very, very interesting way during COVID when there was lockdown and people couldn't come to the restaurant. He talked about how they took the restaurant to the people, and it gave him an idea of expanding even further than his original restaurants in the Dallas area. And now he's going through the process of translating his Dallas idea into a franchise that can go regionally and nationally. Okay, and it's the American story. This is what you do when you have something, you franchise it. My name's Terry Fahm. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Fat Straws, Boba and Mochi Donuts. So we have a bubble tea and mochi donut brand here in Dallas. Been around for 20 years. We have five locations. And so my wife and I started that. Started that six months after I got married, which I thought was a great idea for some reason. Been an entrepreneur for 20 years. We're actually getting ready to franchise. So we're going through that process this year, which is going to really like speed up our growth process. So it's very exciting, but a big shift in what we've been doing. It's been interesting because I think I've shied away from it for many years because I didn't really see franchising as an opportunity for others. And that's really our company's core focus is around building relationships to create opportunity for others and make impact in people's lives. And I saw it as a way that we could make money. Everyone was telling us, this is all the ways you can make money, but I didn't really see an opportunity that we got to create for others until there's a reframing of my thinking around it recently. So that's been an exciting journey of getting exposed to, to see some folks actually who are doing it in a way that aligns with who we are. I'm in my second year of coach. I had a really good friend who's been in the program for 16 years and has been very consistent about encouraging me. I'd say pulling, not pushing me to join coach. Made the jump a couple of years ago, which has been a transformational experience for me. I love being able to create space. Entrepreneurs are very busy, sometimes overscheduled. To be able to create that space and get away and spend time and work on the business, and then just be able to collaborate with other entrepreneurs to kind of hear and share what they're doing and how they're going on this journey with you has been just so much fun for me. And it's funny because people always talk about the tools, but it's really been the mindset shifts, thinking about my thinking, as they say. Hospitality is about how we make people feel. And a great server in a restaurant, a great restaurant that's focused on hospitality, really thinks about anticipating the needs guests before they even know what their needs are. And so to me, there's a lot of customer service and technical things that just happen really well behind the scenes at Coach. But what I think Coach does a great job is, is really is, is in the hospitality side. So from the moment of my first engagement with Reggie, who was enrolling me in the program, and then the minute I signed up, I, you know, this was even during COVID. And so the way they we've thought through, like, how do we create that personalized touch point? I got a box, I got full of books, I got a bunch of things to actually dig into right away. And then just the professionalism of the way that they engaged, it just blew me away. So all my experiences with the staff have been first class. It was interesting to see even going through it 
the first year of COVID and then going through this last year in person. It's just been great. I'm not a Zoom guy all the time. I'm really very relational. It's a big part of me, but I was still impressed with the way we were, they were able to like create breakout sessions and create opportunities for connection. But in person, it's just been fantastic. I love coming in the night before we have dinner and then get to go through the experience together. But the biggest thing for me really, again, it's been the mindset shifts. I think can get hung up on a lot of the tools, but it's really been unlocking the way I think about things. And so often, you know, I always say my biggest limiter is myself. So if I can reframe the way I think about things or I can approach problems differently, there's going to be breakthroughs. There's a reason I think they call it bottleneck because it's the top of the bottle. And that's usually where I am at the top of the company. So I'm oftentimes the bottleneck, right? And so that's what's been great is unlocking some of those things for me. Both my parents came from Vietnam as refugees, right? So I always tell people, and sometimes it's easy for me to forget. I tell my kids, like, imagine if we had to pick up and we had to move to another country where we look like nobody else. We don't speak the language and we literally have the clothes on our back and you have to start over. And that's what my parents had to do. And so my dad, unfortunately, passed away two years after we had moved here in a plane crash. And so my mom was left in a foreign country, barely speaking language to raise four kids by herself. So that also meant, you know, we had to help pitch in and do more. And, and so I think a lot of that entrepreneurialism comes from being a latchkey kid and being a figure it out, like not having someone bail me out all the time. I was outside running around playing all the time. If I had to deal with conflict, if I fell down and got hurt, like I couldn't just call my mom and say, mom, come get me. So I had to deal with a lot of things on my own, but she raised us working at 7-Eleven, which is a convenience store chain. And so I grew up in that retail environment and I got to see my mom really have an impact on the community because whenever a store was underperforming, they would move her because she could usually bring it back up. But what always impressed me, even at a young age, was to see her customers move with her, right? And so it's kind of funny to think about. This is before Starbucks and Dunkin' and all the kind of coffee buzz. Like, that's where people got their coffee. And so for them to move out of their routine, their commute, it's because they wanted to see her and her team. And again, it was like a hospitality thing. It's like the way she made people feel. And she knew, like, what their drink was. And someone always wanted to make sure they had Diet Coke and she would keep it there for them. And so I got to see that from her really is just like how she served and loved people. And then I went to college and had an IT career, even in my corporate career, always just trying to figure out like, how do we do things better? And I just didn't kind of fit in that corporate model very well. I'm very much a figure it out kind of guy, all about trial instead of research. I'll definitely jump off the cliff and build the parachute on the way down. And so that's what ended up happening when we got started. It was just like, you know, I'm kind of tired of this corporate career. I left. And this is, again, six months after we had gotten married. And I told my wife, I says, hey, if we want to do something entrepreneurial and really take a big risk, a big financial risk, now is the time. Because all I have to my name is a 99 Nissan Maxima. We live in an apartment. We have no kids. I don't have a mortgage. Like, if we fail, I can always go get a job. And so I think what was a key learning for me in that was not just Having the confidence to go and take the risk, but where the confidence came from is really the encouragement of my wife, right? Because she was like, hey, it's like, do you think I can do this? She 100% supported me. She's like, knowing that like we we're going to lose half our income, she's like, you can go for it. You can do this. And not only did she support me emotionally, she would work her corporate job and then come home and change and throw on a Fast Drops t-shirt and come and sling tea with me 
work until close. And so that's what we did. We were both in it all day, every day for the first several years. You know, it's funny because even when people come and approach me and say, hey, I'm thinking of starting a business or, hey, I'm thinking about starting a, a restaurant, I find myself sometimes like making sure they know what they're getting into. And so I probably spend most time almost trying to talk them out of it to see if even if I've talked them out of it, do they still have the capacity to want to continue to press forward? And so I think in that first, you know, sharing it with folks, it's like overcoming that initial inertia of like very few people thought we were going to move to do it. And that obviously kind of made me want to do it a little bit more. So I think initially, like getting it started, creating it, building it, and then having the realization that like, oh, so not only do I get to create it and build it, but I actually have to run this thing now. Retail business, it runs all the time. So weekends, vacations. And so I think probably one of the biggest first challenges as a company that we really faced, though, was when we decided to open our second location. So we opened in 2002. And like I said, I really didn't know what I was doing. When I say I was figuring it out, when we were looking for a space, I literally just saw the phone number and I called and I asked the landlord and I said, hey, how much are you renting the space for? They said, it's $25 a foot. I said, how big is it? It's a thousand feet. I said, so it's $25,000 a month. They're like, no, it's $25,000. You divide it by 12 and that's your base rent monthly. I said, oh, okay. This is plus triple nets. I said, what's triple nets? So I'm literally calling the person, they're giving me a real estate lesson on how to like lease a place. So just kind of figuring out, going through that journey the first few years, just, just kind of figuring it out. And then once we had started to hire staff, we opened our second location. And this was even a bigger jump because the first location was an existing store and really minimal investment and easy to get open. We were going to build one from the ground up. And that means, you know, you're going into a center, but you're putting in the AC, the plumbing, the HVAC everything, significant, significant expense. And we opened that, that was in 2007. And so shortly after, you know, 2008, 2009, we literally saw tenants every few weeks pulling out, leaving. And I also was pretty aggressive on the front end. I actually, not only did I sign that lease for the second one, I had actually signed a lease for a third location, but we hadn't even started construction because I used all the money for the first one. Because I went 100% over budget. So I had a lease that was due at a store that I was trying to grow. You know, recession starting to come. And so I'm laying in bed, sleepless nights, wondering, like, do I tell Jennifer that I'm going to have to probably file bankruptcy today or tomorrow? <laughs> For some reason, there was just this strange moment of laying in bed and literally, like, feeling my heart pounding, like, at 3 in the morning. And I'm like, my body thinks I'm going to die. Or my body thinks I'm, like going to be attacked by an animal, but I'm safe and I'm in my bed. I'm in my house and like, they can't take my house. I'm going to be okay. So what can I actually do? How do I break this big problem apart in pieces instead of trying to be overwhelmed by it? So the next day I went and I met with that landlord who was wondering when we were going to open and I looked him straight in the face and I just told him the truth. I just said, I'm really sorry. Like I thought I could do this and I've just mismanaged it and I went over budget and I'm out of money and there's no way I can actually open the store. And I know that I signed a lease and I owe you rent. And he stared at me for what felt like an eternity. And then he just tore up the lease in front of me. It was like a five-year lease, you know? So he said, no, it's, no need to squeeze a dry lemon is what he told me. And he smiled at me. And that was such a blessing that he, he was able to do that because he could have put me under. 
So then I was able to free that up. And then I was in the store and recessions hitting customers that used to come every day. Now coming once a week, coming every other week. All the centers empty. We're not getting that synergy from other businesses or the restaurants. They're all closing. And so I just sat in there and realized, like, we can't just build and they will come. And so what we did was I just started a hustle. And I literally said, I just got a bunch of free drink coupons and I discounted the pavement. I went to all the local businesses. There was a Hilton office. And so we started to grow the business that way. And we were just relentless about focusing on the hospitality and the guest service. And I just telling, I had a big meeting with the team in 08 and just sat them down and said, hey, we're in an unprecedented financial crisis right now. We can't just assume that that customer is going to come back. They're voting with their dollars and, and maybe money's tight. We've got to really make sure that they have like a first class experience here. So we were actually able to grow from 07 through that recession, which was crazy. And Rode that and had a several good years. And then I think we started to really hit our second phase of growth much, much later and, and, you know, had family and things. So kind of slowed down the growth phase. But once 2016 hit, that's when we opened the next three stores over the last six years. There's this hypothesis that a lot of the anxiety that people are dealing with now, it actually becomes from a place of not having truly experienced hardship and struggle. And so we can't delineate between what's really like life-threatening, fearful, catastrophic versus, so we may over-amplify the magnitude of what a situation's problems really are because we haven't been tested truly. Like we haven't been shot at. We haven't been on a boat for two weeks, right? Like the grandfather. Like we were fortunate because my dad was an Air Force pilot. So he went to the embassy. We flew on a plane. A lot of my family, I mean, literally escaping pirates, you know, getting like skin diseases on boats, my cousin, his dad, my uncle, like pirates were coming, the ship was coming by. They wanted to go to the night, make sure he wasn't crying. He gave him a sleeping pill, but then he was afraid he gave him too much. And then he like didn't wake up. His mom thought he had killed him. And I mean, it's just crazy to think about what people do to come here. Right. And so that's where like creating opportunity for others. Like there are so many sacrifices that were made for us to be here. And so I have a deep, deep responsibility and privilege to really pay that forward to others. Because we do have a lot of immigrants that work for us as well. And it's really cool to kind of be on the other side of that and see people have built life. That's what makes it amazing. COVID was obviously a big year for us, as it was for everyone. So not just for us, I know the whole world was impacted. But that was another stressful time because they were shutting down businesses and we weren't sure if we were going to be considered essential. We were able to stay open. We just couldn't have our dining rooms open. And really, it was my wife who in that moment of crisis, had the vision to just say, hey, I have an idea. So she got on some Facebook groups and just shared like, hey, we're open, you know, we'd love you to come support us. And then in this group, this group started to grow and people were like, hey, they're in a suburb like 45 minutes away where we don't have a location. And they're saying, hey, would you ever deliver to us, right? This is in the height of the lockdown. Would you ever deliver to us? And my wife says, hey, do you want to go and deliver to Arlington on Saturday? And we had just switched our point of sale over. We could do online orders. So we created this portal. So everyone put their orders in. And that Saturday, I think it took three cars. We went out. It took us eight hours. We went door to door all around. And it ended up being like a weekend's worth of revenue. And so my wife's like, hey, we're onto something here. So we did it again. And what we realized is she was just like, this is taking way too long. The gyms are closed. The schools are closed. So let's just park in front of this LA Fitness right off the freeway. 
and tell everyone to meet us at noon. And we made a makeshift drive through. It's like you would pull up, you wouldn't have to get out of your car, right? We just say, Hey, can I get your name? It's like, Oh, you know, order number 54. I'd grab the box of donuts, I'd grab a gallon of tea. And if you didn't want us to touch it, we had gloves on and masks, we'd put it in your trunk and we'd do this makeshift drive through. And so we started doing these pop ups all over town. And what ended up happening was we were actually able to see where our customers lived and where we had some future potential. So because of that, Arlington, which is a suburb of Dallas, kind of in between Dallas and Fort Worth, was always our number one pop-up location. So when we started looking for a new site, that's when we honed in on Arlington. So we just opened in July, location number five in Arlington, and it has our first drive-through. So it's been doing really, really well. And again, that came through this terrible time of the pandemic, but we learned so much by not just sitting and waiting, but like, hey, how do we adapt in this situation? And actually through that, we added that adaptability as one of our company's core values. We really need to be adaptable, not just to the customer's needs, but just like what happens in the market, what's happening in the world. And so through that process, we opened number five and then we hired an integrator. We're an EOS company, so we use EOS and we hired an integrator and we decided as a group, we can keep kind of cranking out company units, but we said, what's going to be not just faster growth, but what's going to create more opportunity living into that purpose, right? What's going to really create more opportunity and not only impact, but scale impact for people, right? And franchising is the path forward. And so our vision is also not just that outsiders are coming in and franchising, but we have people we've built from within who are going to be owners of locations one day. So that's why we've been focusing on franchising. So we first part of the year, we really focused on getting this new unit open and learning drive through. There's all these new things we've learned, but building some foundational elements on our team. And now through the rest of the year, we're, we're kind of sprinting to get all of our legal stuff done so that in Q1 of 2023, we're going to be ready. So we're already taking requests and just people who are interested right now, inquiries. And so the responses have been really great, but we're going to start hopefully franchising in Q1, whole new world. And What's interesting is I may be a better franchisor than just business operator because what I've learned over the last few years is what I actually really enjoy is coaching and mentoring and developing people. Like that's where I get really, really excited. And so a gentleman named Lauren Aldrich, he's in my coach program. He pulled me aside and says, Hey, I hear you're franchising. He said, why are you doing this? You know, and I shared kind of this purpose and he says, okay, I'm going to leave you with two things. Like if you don't, love teaching and coaching people how to become entrepreneurs, don't do it. And then he said, number two, don't ever lose sight of franchisee profitability. They're in business with you to be profitable. If you're trying to just make profit off of them, you're not going to be successful. So that when I started to realize, like, oh, this is going to be really fun for me. I love like coaching and mentoring and like spending time with people. And we're going to start kind of expanding around Dallas-Fort Worth and say DFW Metroplex. So we can make sure we can adequately support them and our new franchisees. And then from there, we're just gonna kind of start expanding out that circle. Five locations in Dallas-Fort Worth, suburbs are Plano, Richardson, and Arlington, and then Dallas proper. I am very hyper-focused on growing Fat Straws franchising, but I'm also open to the possibility of what other opportunities are out there right at the moment. So. As I say, 
I don't believe in retirement. I just believe in doing more of the things I want to do, less of things that I don't want to do or have to do. I think entrepreneurs are immigrants because so many entrepreneurs, your family is not an entrepreneurial family or friends that you grow up with, friends you go through school with and everything else, they don't become entrepreneurs. So there's sort of this jump into a new world and you have to establish your credentials just by being useful and valuable in the marketplace. And I think that entrepreneurs, and there's um, actually long, long studies on this subject, that financially most entrepreneurs do anywhere from 25 to 50% better economically after five years than native born people. And over the course of their lifetime, they do better. And the reason is that they gave up their past and they had to create their future. And that's the same thing that entrepreneurs have to do. So it's a great story on immigrants and entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm.